Well, uh, thanks again, uh, as I said, for being here. As you know, we're studying the parables. There's uh, uh, a lot to be said about the parables, and I'm going to have to just review a little bit uh, each week. But uh, for right now, I want to remind you of an old saying. And uh, some of you know this uh, saying. You've probably heard it before. If you haven't, maybe uh, uh, new to you. But there's a saying that we used to hear from time to time. uh, He's so poor... He's so poor, he ain't got enough money to pay attention. And that's a kind of a parable. It's a riddle, so to speak. It's a way of saying uh, the person only doesn't have much money, but he's also kind of ignorant and kind of dumb. So there's there's many angles to a statement like that. He's so poor, he ain't got enough money to pay attention. And Jesus, interestingly enough, didn't use that exact phrase, but over and over again, he would tell people, listen, pay attention, open your ears. You're hearing what I say, but you're not hearing. You're seeing what I do, but you're not really seeing. And and we all kind of know what he's talking about, but we're not completely sure. And then he would go on, and 35% of our Lord's teaching was in parables. And we read the parables and we think we understand them and we kind of have an idea of what he's saying, but sometimes we really don't. And the question that we asked last week is, how come? Why do we struggle so much with understanding a parable? Well, parables, very quickly as a review, parables are sayings. They're known as riddles or proverbs, a parable where you take one thing and you set it over against another thing. You compare things, or you say, this is like that, or this is as that. Uh, you're, you're, you're comparing them. And what happens is, right away, we start thinking that parables are like Aesop's fables, and that they are simply moral lessons, the way in which you and I are supposed to conduct ourselves, the way we're supposed to live, uh, our conduct... And uh, while that's true, that does affect our conduct, that's not what the parables are about. The parables are stories. And in fact, I told you the Bible is mostly stories. There are very few commands in the Bible. We think it's all about rules, but actually the Bible has very few rules in it. If you took all the rules and you put them together, you might have maybe 20, 30 pages. You don't have that much. The rest of the Bible is stories. And what's so significant about a story or a parable? Why did Jesus use them? It's because stories are windows through which you're to look and see through and into other things. I told you they're also uh, like pictures. They form pictures. And so you, you look not through them, but at them. And they're also mirrors. In other words, you look at a story and the story is supposed to reflect back to you certain things about yourself, about the world around you, about other people, about your relationship with God Himself. A parable or a story is unique. See, once you hear, listen, once you hear the story of the Good Samaritan, You never forget it. You never forget what that story is about. All day long, I could give you lists of rules. Here's how you're to treat your neighbor. 
Here's how you're to think about the world around you. People that aren't like you. People that you don't even like. I could tell you, here's what you should do, here's what you ought to do, and give you lists and lists of what you should do and what you ought to do. And by the time you leave church, you've forgotten them. But you'll never forget the story of the Good Samaritan. You'll never forget the story of the prodigal son. You just won't. There will always be there, and the meaning will always be working its way down into uh, our hearts. So parables are primarily windows, they're mirrors, they're, they're pictures so that you can look and relate to the world around you. But they're not even primarily about you and I. Parables are primarily, as Jesus said, they're about the kingdom of God and His King. And if that's true, then when He says pay attention, when He says listen, when He says he that has ears to hear, He's asking you, He's, he's, he's demanding actually, He's commanding you as followers to open your eyes, to open your ears, to take the time necessary to work these things down. You see a parable, you don't just tell it, and, oh that's nice. You have to think about it, just like that saying I said a moment ago, he's so poor he ain't got enough money to pay attention. If you think about that for a long time, you see there are lots and lots of facets and meanings to even that simple old old timey saying so it's about the kingdom and why do we struggle with parables i mean if you read them they're pretty straightforward there's anywhere from 35 to well maybe 40 to 60 parables depending on how you break them down in the new testament uh in the gospels and we can read them and on the surface we kind of get it but then we we know there's more Why? What's the secret? And here's what Jesus said the secret is. Verses 10 and 12 in the passage we're going to read in just a moment, Mark chapter 4, he says, here's the secret. When he was alone, he says, to you I give the secret of the mystery of the kingdom. But the people outside, they're not going to understand. But I am going to explain it to you. I'm going to give you the secret And he said, don't you understand this parable? If you don't understand this one, the parable of the sower of the seed, if you don't get this one, you're not going to understand any of the parables. You've got to understand this one. And Jesus uses this parable as sort of a cipher so that you can take it and you can apply it, you can lay it over all the other parables. And believe me, when we go through them, you're going to be amazed. If you lay this understanding over the top of all the other parables, you'll say, wow, now I kind of get what he's saying. It's not just moral lessons, not just Aesop's fables, not just be good, but there's more to the parables. And so, what was the secret Those of you that were here last week, I told you, the secret was that the kingdom of God in everyone's mind, you see, you've already been somewhat enlightened, but I even, I bet that most of you struggle with this. In fact, I know you do, because I do. When we think of the kingdom of God, what do we think about? What's coming into our mind? We think of a king. 
We think of a king with power, with armies, with force, with, with uh, the ability to conquer his, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, that the king is able to conquer all his and our enemies, that he has this power, this force, that he's, that he's dressed in armor and robes and he's wa- riding a war horse and he's entering the battle and he's got hosts and hosts of armies and all he has to do is with the flash of his eyes, he can destroy his, his enemies. That was the expectation of the ancient world back then of armies, of warrior kings, of conquest. And that was the expectation of Israel, of the Jewish nation. That's what they were waiting for. That was the gospel that they were waiting to hear. The arrival of their king who would destroy all their enemies. And that meant Rome. That meant the idolaters, the pagans, the infidels, whatever you want to call them. It meant destroying them, wiping them off the face of the earth, and setting up the kingdom of David, and all the nations would come and bow down to this great king. And what they got instead was a farmer. They got the parable of the sower. Jesus said, this is the key. You want to know what the kingdom is like? The kingdom's not like what you expect. The kingdom is a sower who sows his seed in the world. He comes as a farmer. It's going to take time. It's going to go slow. It's going to be natural, just like plants growing up. And there's going to be different kinds of soil. There's going to be soil that's hard. People don't even listen. There's going to be soil uh, that's rocky. The cares of this world are going to... going to choke it out, there's going to be uh, thorns, there's going to be uh, troubles and persecution, there's going to be all this. This is what the kingdom is like. It's not what you think. Now you take that reality. Oh, you mean I'm signing on to join a, a religion, a faith, or whatever you want to call it, a movement? I don't think it's any of those, by the way. But I'm going to, I'm going to follow this guy who I thought was going to be a king, who's going to be mighty, he's going to take power. And he's a farmer. He's a carpenter. He's a Nazarene. He comes from a questionable parentage. We don't even know who his father is. And all the implications that go along with that. And, and, and he won't even confront Rome. He tells Rome, hey, you, I'm not here to destroy you. What's up with that? Come on, let's kill him. And and he insults the religious leader, the people we've been following, the people that we love, that we hold up as being the best of the best, the cream of the crop. He insults them and tells them that the prostitutes and the tax collectors go into the kingdom of God before you. And he's insulting everybody. He won't take power. And I'm going to sign on to this. And everyone struggled without an exception. His family... Even John the Baptist, who who Jesus said is the greatest man that ever lived, that ever breathed breath, greatest man that ever lived, even he struggled with this. And so what about us today? All these thousand years, several thousand years later, you don't think we struggle? Yes, we do. We would love to have power. We would love to have the ability to take over the world. Yes? Yes? Yes, we would. Be honest. We'd love to have political power. And every time the church has gotten political power, it's ruined us. So let's look quickly at this parable. And now what I want you to think 
This is what Jesus said is the secret. The kingdom is coming not like you think. It's going to come like a farmer. It's going to come with seed. It's going to grow. It's going to take a long time. It's going to be mundane. It's going to be ordinary. There's not going to be any uh, sky riding and any flashes of lightning. There's not going to be any earth shattering, nothing. It's going to go on just day by day in the ordinariness and mundaneness of life. It's going to be just like everything else. Are you ready to sign up for that? Are you excited about that? And he's saying, this is the best thing you can ever do. Listen. Pay attention. Open your eyes. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. This is something that nobody expects. And it will indeed cover the earth. Okay? Let's read. Now, what we're going to do very quickly, I'm not going to read the whole 32 verses or whatever, but it's printed in your bulletin. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark 4. If you don't, I'll read this out out of the bulletin. Uh, Use whichever you have. I'm going to read the first few verses, uh, uh, the parable of the sower, not the explanation, and I'm going to pick it up uh, uh, at the the end in verse 21 here through uh, 24 or so. So just follow along and hear the word of God. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and since it had no depth of soil, when the sun rose it was scorched, and since it had no root it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. Another seed fell into good soil and it produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30, 60, 100 fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word and he goes and explains what that parable means. Now look at verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you again. And still more will be added. For to the one who has, more will be given. And to the one who has not, even that which he has will be taken away. Verse 26. And he said to them, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps. He rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, and when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's look at three things very quickly about this parable. And remember, keep in mind, he's talking about the kingdom of God. It's not going to come with all this 
power and might and armies and hosts and all of this, it's going to come a different way. It's going to look different than what was expected. And it's going to produce differently than the way it's expected. So we're going to look at three things. Here's your outline very quick. The principle of paradox. Jesus is in, in, he's, he's introducing something that you're going to need to remember for the rest of your Christian life. If your Christian life has been burdensome to you, and believe me, it can become a burden, it can become uh, odious. You think, oh man, what is this, Christianity? Oh, I just, I'm, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm worn out. And that's because you don't understand the paradox of Christianity. And when you understand the paradox or the, or the difficulty with it, you can then embrace it. You can actually take it in and say, you know what? I'm in. I'm with this. I'll take it. And that paradox is that hiddenness is going to be revealed. And things that should be revealed are going to be hidden. Secrets are going to come to light, but they're also going to be hidden. There's going to be this constant tension. What uh, uh, theologian uh, Herman Ritterboss, Dr. Ritterboss said, is what we call the already not yet. That the kingdom did indeed come with Jesus, but it is not yet fully consummated. There is a day coming in which Jesus Christ will physically, bodily return to earth not as a shepherd, not as a carpenter, but as a warrior king with his army and his swords and a rod of judgment, and he will lay low the kingdoms of this earth. There will be a conflagration of judgment. We don't know when, we don't know how, we don't understand all about it, but we know it's coming, it's somewhere out in the future, it's closer now than it was when I began the sermon, it's just moving this way like a time. Like a tidal wave. We've used that example before. It's not, it, there's nothing we can do to stop it. It's just coming. We don't know when. It could be tomorrow. It could be while I'm preaching. Maybe some of you are hoping it will be. Uh, it could be uh, two million years from now. It doesn't really matter. But it's coming. He is coming. So the already has happened. The not yet has not happened. What Richard Pratt used to tell us, the inauguration of the kingdom has come. Those of you that have come to theology class know this well. We are in the period of continuation of the kingdom. The kingdom is existing today. It's not in absentia, as some of our uh, brethren and other segments of Christianity think. The kingdom is here now. And who, who's ruling the kingdom? Jesus Christ. And who has the keys to the kingdom? Go ahead. Who has the keys to the kingdom? The church has the keys to the kingdom. And so this, we are the kingdom of God. And we're made up of Jews and Gentiles. All kinds of people all over the world. People from all kinds of backgrounds. Not just Presbyterians. There are a few others. Actually, there's a lot more than a few. People all over the world from every tribe and nation and tongue and people. They're all over. That's what he's talking about. The kingdom is already, but not yet. So we're going to talk about that paradox. And we're going to do it quickly. Believe me, I've taken way too much time with the introduction, but we'll get there. Secondly, the principle of production. He gives a dynamic, a dynamic promise and a dire warning. And let me tell you, you've got to take the warning as seriously as you do the promise. And if you don't, you're living in Disneyland, Christian Disneyland. He's warning his people, don't be foolish. 
Open your ears. Listen to what I'm saying. Because these things can happen to you. You can have rocky soil. You can have thorns grow up in your eyes. You can have, get the word can be choked in you just as quick as anybody else. Don't think you're immune. None of us is immune. Listen, I've been in all four of those soils. I've had all, I have all four of those soils in me right now. I hate to admit it. I want you all to think a lot of me, as you should. You get the idea. I mean, we struggle. Who doesn't struggle? So Jesus is describing different kinds of people, but he's also describing us. So there's a dynamic promise and a dire warning. And finally, we're going to look at the providence of God. So we're going to look at the principle of paradox, uh, this, this second principle of production. What does it mean? What is he talking about? And finally, the providence of God. And we'll do it quickly. Look first at the principle of paradox. Is a lamp brought to be put under a bed or not on a stand, is for nothing is hidden except it will be made manifest, nor is anything secret except it will come to light. If anybody has ears to hear, let it be heard. It's a rhetorical question. You all know that a rhetorical question is one in which the answer is obvious in the question. And the obvious answer is a lamp brought so that you can hide it under the piano or put it uh, behind this, this speaker over here or under the communion table. No, don't you put the light up on the lampstand so that everybody can see the light. And the answer is obvious. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course you do that. You don't hide those things. And then he says, but even though we're doing that, we're going to put the lamp up here, we're going to put the light up here, not everybody's going to accept it. In fact, even after I'm raised from the dead, you are going to face opposition. You're going to have a hard time. The light is not going to be out of you. I know I ask myself this question. Why don't people see? We explain to them the gospel, the difference between gospel and religion. We tell them all these wonderful things about Jesus and that you can live forever. And everybody goes, huh, I don't know, ho-hum, maybe I better not. I mean, it's almost like people are, what? what is up with that? But weren't you like that? Before you came to Jesus, weren't you kind of like that? Say yeah. Okay. Yes, of course we're like that. Nobody just gets it. We all struggle. And so he's saying, pay attention. Listen, is this, th- there's going to be tension. The disciples are to expect opposition. They're to expect it, not to be plain as the nose on your face. That's the paradox the hiddenness, and yet the revealed. In fact, the fact of its concealment creates tension for us. It makes it hard for us because we can talk. I can get up here and talk and pour out my heart and some people just don't get it. I listen to sermons all the time. Sometimes I don't get it. I'm listening to what the guy says and I'm going, yikes, I don't know. Okay? There's a paradox. The kingdom Jesus is saying the kingdom is upside down. It's not what you expect. It's paradoxical. It's opposite of what you think. And a lot of things are opposite of what you think. Dr. Jack Miller used to say this, and and I have said this in our church many times in our spiritual dynamics course. I tell you this over and over again. Dr. Miller used to say the way up in Christianity, the way up is the way down. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? What does Jesus say to do? What does He say? Be a servant. 
Now, in, in our mind, we think, oh, of course, that sounds really good. But if you were a Greek or a Jew or an ancient Near East person back in the day, that was the worst thing you could possibly do. Humility and poverty, poorness of spirit, getting down on your knees and washing somebody's feet was the lowest of the low. And what does Jesus say? You want to be great in my kingdom? Be prepared to give up your life. You want to live in my kingdom? Do you want to live? You want life in my kingdom? You have to die. It's no wonder he only had 12. I'm surprised he got that many. You want to be rich in this life? You want to be rich? Give everything you have. We think that he was only telling the rich young ruler, give everything you have. Jesus changed the rules. There's no more tithing. No more tithing. If you want to tithe, go ahead. You tithe all you want to the church. We would love it if you tithe. But let me tell you, I'm going to be very honest. He's not interested in your tithing. That's not enough. He wants it all, every penny. He wants every breath that you have to offer, everything. Otherwise, he said, don't bother. Don't follow me. Go somewhere else. He said, my God, are you saying that I'm supposed to give all my money? Yes, I'll give you the bank account number after church. Well, I'm being funny, but maybe, maybe not. No, he wants it all. You see, the very question, are you serious, means we're not ready to let go. Do you see it? Do you see the understanding that he's saying? He's he's saying, I haven't asked you to give it all up and follow me, but if I do, will you? And by the very fact that we really kind of stand up real straight and say, wow, does he really mean that? Yes, he means it. You think he was fooling around with one guy? He meant it to everybody. Leave it and follow me. Will you do it? Will you go all in with me? Will you trust me that much? The answer's got to be yes. It's a rhetorical question. Otherwise, do not call me king and do not come into my upside-down kingdom. Because the way up is the way down. The way to greatness is service. The way to life is to give up your life. The way to true freedom is slavery to me, to my kingdom, to serving others, to giving up your life, for, to putting others ahead of yourself. That's the way. You want to be promoted? Promote everybody around you first. That's how you do it. Love your enemies. Listen to how upside down it is. Love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Bless those that curse you. Forgive those. Forgive as you've been forgiven. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You see why he had to say that? That's not easy to hear, is it? Is that easy to hear? No. That's hard to hear. I want a general. I want an army. I want some horses and better yet some tanks. I want nuclear weapons. And he's giving me a farmer and seeds and, 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 and forgiveness and meekness and lowliness and poverty of spirit. What is going on? He that has ears to hear. This is the kingdom. You want to understand all the parables? You want to understand the Good Samaritan? There it is. Lay this on top of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan goes, of course. Of course. I'm the one in the road. I'm the one beaten and robbed. I'm the one that would die. And Jesus comes along and He lifts me up. He saves me. 
Wow, I get it now. It's not just a moral injunction for me to be good to my neighbors. It's a question, who's your neighbor? Everybody that's broken like you. That's who's your neighbor. Did you forget you were broken? Did you forget that he found you in the gutter? Or maybe you just think you've never been there. That's the paradox of the kingdom. That's what we're up against, folks. And it's the greatest thing in the world. I'm telling you, it is wonderful because it frees you to worship in spirit and in truth the God who came down, who went low, who went to the bottom so that he could get you and me at the bottom so you'd never have to go to the bottom. That's the upside-down kingdom. The principle of paradox. What about the principle of production? Look what he says in these next verses, 24 and, and so on. Pay attention. He says, this is an imperative. I mean, he's hammering away. Listen, pay attention, listen. Hey! I mean, he's yelling it out with the top of his lungs. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you meet, the measure you use, it'll be measured and more added to you. If you have, if you have it, if you do what I'm telling you, you're going to get more. But if you don't, even what you do have is going to be taken away. Do you see? When he says to us, I want all of you. I want you in all the way. I want no rest- I want you to come to me naked with nothing in your hands like to him. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come I to the flood. Clothe me. You ca- I'm, I'm bringing nothing. And forevermore I will never understand how I can get in my prayer time in the morning, uh, early in the morning, and, and before I say one word, I'm holding out all these things to Jesus, trying to negotiate my salvation with him. And I do that, and I know more than all of you. That was supposed to be funny. All right, never mind. Of course I don't know. Look, I mean, don't we do that? We want to negotiate our salvation with Him every day. You don't negotiate with a king. You come and you lay down and you, you get on your knees and you hand Him your sword. You say, this is yours. You can strike me dead with it or you can put me into battle, but I'm all yours. I'm all in. I'll go. I'll go where you send me. I'll do what you say. You're the boss of me. Like our kids would say. Jesus is saying, pay attention. If, if you want all that Jesus has for you, give him all that you have. And don't be afraid. You mean I have to give this? Yes. You mean I have to do that? Yes. You mean he wants this? Yes. He wants it all. He doesn't want just your goodness, by the way. When he says all, what is he including in all? What is he saying? I want all your mess. I want your sin. I want your brokenness. I want your past. I want your present. And I want your future. I want every tear. In fact, the Psalms say, I'll take those tears that you weep, the grief that you have, the sorrow, the hurt, the pain. I'll take them and I'll put them in a bottle and I'll save them because that's how precious they are to me. Do you see it? I don't want just your goodness. I've already seen the best. I've seen the best. I saw my son. Come to me with your broken. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Bring your pain, your sorrow, your hurts. I'll heal you. I'll make you well. Do you see it? This is the dynamic promise. 
And the dire warning is, if you don't, you're going to lose not only what you thought you had, you're going to lose everything else too. There's no halfway measures with Jesus, none. And American Christianity is absolutely, unbelievably conditional. I will serve him if this and that and that. We put conditions on the king of the universe who made everything and everybody. And all you have to do is look around and see. But not here at Christ the King. Look, folks, I know this isn't popular. I, I, frankly, I'm too old for popularity. Ask Monty V. I'm too old for popularity. I mean, wake up. We have the privilege of coming here unfettered. Nobody's going to bother us this morning. Nobody's even going to give a second thought to closing us down. But that day may change. For those of you that have children, that may change. I want us to get all in. I don't want us to hold anything back. I want our church, as small as it is or as big as it is, it doesn't matter to me, as long as I know that I'm in the foxhole, I'm in the trenches with people that have got my back and that we're going to fight the good fight of faith no matter what it takes all the way down to the end. And we're going to serve in this world in a way they can't believe. Wow, these people are amazing. They love like nobody I've ever seen. They forgive. They don't hold grudges. They know how to serve. If the world sees if these children, we got 30 kids. How many kids we got? 30-some kids coming? If we can teach those 30 little guys this, they can turn the world upside down. It's too late for us old people. But the little guys, they can get it. Wow, I'm going to serve this king. I'm going to be a farmer. And throw away those plastic uh, toy uh, swords and shields and stuff. Farmers, weakness is strength in Christianity. It's upside down. Now, I can't give you this, but let's look at the last one and I'll finish up. The providence of God. The principle of paradox, the principle of production, and finally, the providence of God. What is God's providence? God's providence is His sovereignty in managing all things. It is He is the one that is in control. And he says this, Jesus says, look, it's not just about your farming. It's not just about sowing the seed. It's not just about that. It's about what is behind that, what's underneath that, the power that is there. Look at verses 26. The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed. Now he's back to the seed again. He's saying, look, you're going to scatter seed, scatter seed. Now he says, look, you're going to sleep. Rise day and night, the seed is going to sprout, and you won't know how. He's making an incredible promise. He's saying, don't worry about the harvest. I'll take care of the seed. I, I know that some of you are discouraged. You've got family members. You're trying to pour this into your children sometimes, and they hit a certain age. They don't want to hear it anymore. Uh, you, you know, you've, maybe you've got a spouse that's not on board. Maybe you're at, go, you're at a work where everything is wrong at work. Nobody listens. You, you, it could be any number of things, and it can be so frustrating. Believe me, I know. But let me tell you, Jesus is promising us that His hand of providence is in what we're doing no matter what it looks like. You can go out there day by day and look at that ground. All He's asking you to do is take care of the soil. Make sure it's watered. Make sure the weeds are taken care of. You manage that. I'll take care of the growth. Why? Why? Because the seed itself has life in it. See, I don't give the seed life. 
The seed has life. The seed is the word of God. It has life in itself. The gospel has life. We don't have to worry about making it grow. We don't have to talk people into the kingdom of God. We just sow the seed and make sure that we care for them, love them, work in their lives to, to foster that growth that already is there. That's the upside down part. The farmer contributes nothing to the life of the growth of that seed. The earth produces, in fact, it uses the word uh, automene in Greek. It's at- at- automatically. It says the, the, the seed produces of itself. It's got the power in it. When the time is right, the harvest will come. How do you not lose heart? How, how will you stay fixed? What is the key to staying fixed? To understanding God's providence, His sovereignty. What is the key? Here it is. Jesus said this. This is out of his own mouth. The Son of God did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. Can you accept that? Are you ready to follow this king in this upside-down kingdom? There's more. You want to know what the upside-down kingdom is like? You want to know where your power, your strength to follow this Lord is? Here it is, from the lips of his own father, from the lips of God the Father, he said this, it is my will, it is my will to crush him. (laughs) What? Now you're telling me that it was your will? Your sovereign will to crush? Oh, yes. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. God, his Father, put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he, Jesus, shall see his offspring. He shall prolong. God will prolong his days and the will of God will prosper in his hands. That's what you signed on to. You signed on to a crushed Man, a man broken, a man who has made an offering for sin, a man whose life, as I read to you last week from John's Gospel, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it lives alone. It has to die. It has to be crushed. It was God's will to crush him. Why? So that we could follow this man. We could give our life to him. Completely, with no reservations. Come what may, the sovereignty. I accept the sovereignty of my God. That way, if something good happens, praise the Lord. And if something bad happens, praise the Lord. You may weep, you may cry out, you may say, why Lord? But you will still hold on to Him. You never give up. You're all in. Who doesn't want that? He's all in with us. We're all in with Him. That's the kingdom of God. The providence of God was that His Son would die on a cross for you so that we could give our entire life to Him and never see the inside of a grave. Never. Our body, yes, but we will be be caught up into God's presence. Angels will escort us into His presence and He will welcome us with open arms. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him with that? I pray you will. Father, uh, We know we've uh, signed up for an upside-down kingdom. 
But for me and for my household, I will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord, come what may. Let the devils rail, but we will not give up on you. You are the faithful and true God, the ever-living King, faithful to all your people. You are the promise keeper, the covenant keeper. And we love you and thank you. And as we come to your table, Father, we ask that you would feed us in our hearts by faith, strengthen us for the battles ahead. Some of those battles are just inside of ourselves, but I pray that you will strengthen us by the power of your Spirit. Amen.